Good to be with you this morning. Um, it is such a, a crazy moment when, when you realize that being somewhere actually matters, especially when you don't show up. Has that happened to you in a while? Where you knew you were supposed to be someplace and you didn't end up there, and, and in the middle of what you were doing, you had that moment where you were just, oh no. And you realize, like, not being there was a big deal. It wasn't just, I need to water the grass, but you told somebody you were going to be there, and you're not showing up matters. Presence matters. It, it matters. Think back the last two years when all of a sudden, like, being in this kind of place happened only through a stream. Listen, presence matters. And it's not, it's not that we can't worship through video or through a stream, but there's something different about presence. Some of you have had to do school over the last two years through a Zoom, and you hate that. Some of you like it, but for everybody that did that, at some point you got tired of it. Some of you are working from home, and it's not been the same, and some of you kind of like some of that, but the reason you like it is because you've been able to have your presence with people that do matter, right? Family, friends, people like that, kids, and so you get to be where you want to be more than people that you work with that you necessarily don't always want to be with, but presence matters. When we're when my wife goes out of town and, and she calls me on the phone and we get to FaceTime, it is it's amazing that we live in a culture now where you can pull devices out like this and actually see people. I'm, I'm 58 years old, grew up when the Jetsons was live. If you've ever heard of the Jetsons, it's now on like the, you know, the Cartoon Network. Like I watched the Jetsons live and George Jetson had this really cool thing where he got to talk to his wife through one of these. And when I was a little kid, I was like, that's cool. And it's happening, right? And so we take that for granted that we can actually like see people's faces and talk to them. But listen, I would rather have my wife's presence than her face on a screen. You'd rather have your grandkids' presence than their face on the screen. You would rather have an actual Ruth Chris stake in your presence than just the picture of it on a screen. Presence matters. Let me give you a couple more thoughts on that. There are those moments when we're reading the Bible, right? And it, it's good, but it really it just kind of feels like history. There are those moments when we're praying and it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and you're just kind of hanging out in the room and you, and you really feel kind of awkward because you realize at that moment you're kind of talking to yourself. And there are those moments that you're in worship corporately with people like this and, and you realize you're doing more looking around the room than you are singing to the Lord of creation. Then there are those moments when you open your Bible and, and you can't stop reading. And it's not history. It's not... It's not a story about somebody else, but it's like you get sucked into the very pages and the very presence of God is real. And you're like that little kid in the bathtub, you can't get out. Those moments when you pray and it's, it's not bouncing off the ceiling on your head, you're, you actually open your eyes and you forget for a moment where you've been physically because you were engaging the presence of the Lord. And worship isn't looking at other people and seeing other people, but worship is, is actually getting to be in the very presence of the Lord. Listen, presence matters. It matters. When those moments happen, we get to experience the word of the Lord. This is Psalm 34, 8, when God tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. All through the word, we get these, these moments when we get to experience God. When, when God says, taste me, he's not saying just 
intellectually have some agreement with who I am. He's saying, actually experience me. When we taste things, we don't say, oh, I have the knowledge of a steak now. We're like, that's really good, or I paid way too much money for that. That's your reaction. You don't make a book report about a, a steak. And there are moments when God definitely wants us to know him, and there are those moments when he wants us to know him, not just the information of who he is and the knowledge of who he is, but the experience of who he is. And presence allows you to taste and see that the Lord is good. His presence. Is it, is it possible? Here's the question we're going to use this morning to, to drive where we're headed. Is it possible to hunger for the presence of the Lord more than anything else? And you know what hunger is, right? I mean, some of you have it right now. Talking about a steak, you're just like, my goodness, I forgot to eat breakfast. Ate a power bar, not the same. Some of you just had coffee, and so that's made it even worse. But you know what hunger is? You don't hunger for things you don't want. Right? Like right now, if, if you hate like broccoli and kale and liver, you're not hungering for that. Don't ask me why I thought of that meal, but that's, that's probably like some, somebody in here likes that, but I'm sorry, the rest of us don't. And so you're not thinking, man, I wish I had me a plate of liver with a side of broccoli and some kale, like right now. Whatever it is you're hungering for, you hunger for that because you've tasted it, it's good, it's satisfied, and you want it again. You don't hunger for cotton candy when you're hungry. You just don't. You don't hunger for a, a jawbreaker. You don't hunger for 12 bags of popcorn when you're hungry. You hunger for that which you know is going to satisfy. Here's the question this morning. Is it possible for us to hunger for the presence of the Lord more than anything else? Or, or do we only hunger for Lord's presence when we're really desperate? Or do we just hunger for the Lord's presence when we walk into a corporate place like this? Or we just hunger for the Lord's presence when I need answers? Do we just hunger really? Here's the question. Are we really just hungering for the Lord's stuff or are we hungering for the Lord? Because a lot of times I find myself just hungering for the Lord's stuff. And so I'm asking him for answers when I'm praying. I'm looking in the Bible like it's an encyclopedia for answers and I'm worshiping because I need to feel better. I'm not reading because I want the Lord's voice. I'm not praying because I want the Lord's presence. And I'm not worshiping because I want to engage him. I just want his stuff. And can I just say this as a dad who's raised kids? Like, I, I really didn't care why my kids came to me. And now that they're 25 and 21, I really don't care why they come to me. I just enjoy it. But when they were little and they came for the wrong reasons, I didn't turn them away. I just redirected their motives. You don't need 12 bags of popcorn. What you need is some broccoli and liver and kale. <laughs> Psalm 84 is where we're going to dive in. Verse 1. Let's go there together. If you have a Bible, go there. If not, it'll be on the screen for you. Psalm 84 begins, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord, my heart and flesh sing for joy. How lovely is your dwelling place. How lovely means I, I, I long for this, I love this more than anything else. In our culture, we fall in love. And you know what happens at some point in time when you have to be in love. 
Way different than falling in love. At some point, being in love requires a choice, right? I'm going to love this person even though it doesn't feel great at this moment. I'm going to love this child even though it doesn't feel like I want to do this. I'm going to love this friend even though it doesn't feel like they're loving me back. And so at some point, falling in love is a, you know, whatever, it's a thing. But it's not where you live in love, right? I mean, love becomes a choice and an action, something we do because we long for this person to know what love is. And so we pursue them, we love them, we go after them, we long for them. He's saying this, I love the very presence of the Lord, your dwelling place, not just the place where the Lord is, but the ongoing place where the Lord is. I love the ongoing presence of the Lord is what the psalmist is saying here. And I'm pursuing that in love. I didn't just fall into it, but I've tasted and seen that it's good. And so now I long for, I love this place of where God is and His ongoing presence, the Lord of hosts. My soul longs. There's the hunger. Yes, faints. Have you ever been so hungry that, that you just thought you were going to pass out? That's what he's saying. Man, my soul so hungry for you, Lord, that I feel like I can't go on. For the courts of the Lord, my heart and flesh sing for joy. When the psalmist says things like this in Psalm 16:11, when we when we're in the presence of the Lord, that's where fullness of joy is. One of my favorite verses. If you're ever going to tattoo something on your body, Psalm 16:11 is a good one. I have no tattoos, by the way. I didn't grow up in that generation. If you had a tattoo in the generation I grew up in, you were in jail, or you just got out of the navy. <clears throat> I didn't do both. Sorry, didn't, didn't get served, wasn't in that generation. So I had no tattoos, but if I was going to put one on my body, it would be Psalm 1611. It says, for in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. I need that reminder because I look for joy everywhere else but the presence of the Lord sometimes. Joy being that thing that's only satisfied by God's presence. Joy being something that goes on in here that isn't like disturbed by what's going on out here. Joy being that thing which is eternal and internal and it's not about external circumstance. I mean, that's what joy is, right? And God says, in my presence, there's fullness of that. And the psalmist in Psalm 84 says, when, you're in, when I'm in your ongoing presence, Lord, there's this fullness of joy. My soul sings for joy. Let me say it this way, put it in this kind of truth for us. In the ongoing presence, remember that dwelling place, in the ongoing presence of the Lord, your soul, my soul is most satisfied. In the ongoing presence of the Lord, our soul is most satisfied. What does that look like? We're going to talk about that as we walk through the psalm, but we're not talking about having a three-hour quiet time, and then the other 21 hours of your day, you're not in the presence of the Lord. What we're talking about is what the Bible talks about in things like this, like what it looks like to, to pray without ceasing. What it looks like to, to realize that God's presence through the power of Christ's work and through the person of the Holy Spirit lives in me. And so the reality is I'm not having to go look for God's presence. I'm just having to be aware of his presence. But man, how hard is that? How many hours, how many days, how many weeks can you go forgetting if you're a follower of Christ by his blood that the power of his Holy Spirit not only is on you, but it's in you. The very presence of God, God saved you to be with you. More than anything else, God saved you to be with you. That's why he created you. And yet we forget that, and we forget that in his presence is the joy that our soul looks for. And so we, so here's the question, that is the truth, is it, is it, is it a truth for you this morning? 
I'm not saying does it define every second of your life, but not only do you intellectually know that God's presence is with you, but do you realize like that's where your joy is and are you tasting that on any kind of a basis? Because if you're not, I, wanna, I just want to wake you up to this this morning. There is something inside you that's looking for something more than just a job or more than just a relationship and that joy that you're looking for and all those things. God says my presence gives us that fully. And then in all these other things that God gives us, it's reminders of that in those relationships, and even in good food that you're going to eat at lunch today. God's going to say to you, hey, and this meal is a reminder that I'm your provider and I'm with you and I satisfy you. Holding a baby, we were reminded, man, God is good and his presence, as wonderful as this is, God's presence is just, this is just a taste of God's presence when we're holding a new child. And you're holding somebody's hand and you're thinking, man, it can't get much better than this. Listen, but a taste of God's presence. We, I just want to ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that? If not, here's, here's some things that I want you to hear. First thing is that I, C.S. Lewis said it this way, if we, if we find ourselves not really satisfied with all the things that we're that we're tasting in this world, like they're okay, but they're kind of more like cotton candy. You know what I'm saying? You, you like it for a minute, and then about three minutes later, you're like, wow, shouldn't have eaten all that. What he says is this, if, if, you're, if you're tasting things in this world and you find yourself longing for something that this world can't give you, it's probably from another world. And so hear this from the scripture this morning. Your natural desires are not for God. Your, your desires, my desires in our hearts in and of themselves, they just aren't for God. They're, they're for, their, for yourself. This is 1 John 2, verse 16 through 17. For all that is in the world. Then he goes through a list. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Everything that the world brings out is, and I'm not saying that everything in this world is evil, I'm just saying what the world makes out of it. Art is not evil. Culture is not evil. People are not evil. Baseball is not evil. But man, we can make them gods real quick. Because that's what the world does to good things. They make them the best thing. So God gives us good things. We make it the best thing. That's what our flesh does, right? And so the things of this world are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires. And whoever does the will of God abides forever. Know this, that the reason you and I long for everything and every place to find joy but the Father is because that's the desires of your old nature. And God says there's something else that's got to happen if you're going to actually pursue his presence. Let's say it this way, and then we'll look at the passage. God made us for his presence. and He's the one alone who gives us the desire for his presence. And so if you're struggling like me and everybody else in this room to, to pursue the presence of the Lord for your joy, listen, God is the one who gives us not only his presence, but his desire. I love this from Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons, daughters. We just sang about that, sons, daughters. And because you are sons, daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit into our hearts, and the Holy Spirit in us then cries out for God, Abba, Father, Dad. It's the word in the language of the, of the New Testament for, for Daddy. In every language, there's that word, mama, dada, papa, Abba. It's easy to say. It's one of those first things that little kids are able to say. Abba just means daddy. 
what Jesus cried out in the garden. It's what you and I cry out on our souls when we long for the presence of the Lord. And here's the good news. It's what the Holy Spirit's crying out inside you even when you don't know you need to. It's amazing. Psalm 84 begins with, How lovely is your dwelling place. Do you love the presence of the Lord? Think about all the things that you would put in that phrase. I love. Where does the presence of the Lord fit into that list? How lovely is your dwelling place? How do, so how do we grow in this hunger? One of the things I know about our human bodies is that we can change our taste buds. And when my kids were little, it was so easy to feed them. They would, they would eat anything. They'd eat a nail because they'd never tasted ice cream before. Then they met my grandfather who fed them ice cream and they wouldn't eat nails anymore. They would eat all the things we wanted to feed them that were kind of good for them, right? And then, then there was this age where like everything was corn dogs. And we would go to Ruth Chris and I'd be eating a steak trying to get him to taste this and they're like, nope, corn dog. Convinced that the corn dog was the best thing in the world they were going to put in their mouth. And then it happened. Like 13, 14, I think it's puberty, I don't know what it is, but something changed in their taste buds and it got expensive to feed them because no longer was it corn dogs, it was like, I want a steak. Not tonight. I know your taste buds can change in the human body. Like there are things that we didn't used to like that now we taste and we think, man, I like that. And the word even says this about our souls, like spiritually your taste buds can change. How does that happen? Because for some of you, the honest truth is right now, you would not honestly say how lovely is God's presence. It more feels like the principal's office. It more feels like that's where I go when I'm in trouble and not where joy is. How does our taste buds get changed? Verse 3 of Psalm 84, he gives us an illustration of how it gets changed. It says, even the sparrows find a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. For where, I want you to hear this, like sparrows and swallows were not any kinds of birds of any renown in the Hebrew culture in Psalm 84. They were average, not worthy anything birds. They weren't majestic. They weren't hunters. They weren't sacrificial birds. They were just lowly average birds, which is you and I. And so he's saying like even the common people, the common, most common of us find a home this is where, at your altars. That's a f- crazy place to find a home. You know what an altar is. Like if you grew up in a church, an altar, those of you that grew up in a church, we had what we called altars down here. You remember that? Like, God would preach and say, come to the altar. And, and it was like where you went for, I don't know, but you went to the altar, right? And in and, and theory, the altar was a place where you, where you would engage people about what God was doing, and, and really what I think they meant was like, hey, here's a place to come and die. Because that's what an altar is. Now, I don't know if it actually was for that for you and your church. I remember dudes bringing packs of cigarettes up there and laying them on the altar. I remember ladies coming up there and crying. I remember all sorts of things ha- happening at the altar. I didn't want to have any business to do with that place because I thought, that's weird. People cry when they go up there. I didn't want to cry, so I stayed away from this place. I don't know what you think an altar is, but can I just tell you this? An altar is a place of death. In the Old Testament, it was a place of sacrifice. It was a place where things died for someone else. 
They would take an animal, they would take it to the altar, and they would kill that animal for this person's sin. And no one ever believed that an animal could actually make this person clean before holy God, but it was a picture of what it would take, someone's death, to make this person clean for their sin. And God's saying, at my altar is where you can find your place with me. Listen to what it says again. Even the sparrow finds a home, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And then Selah and the Psalms meant like pause and rest and think on this. Let me, let me say the truth this way. At God's altar, at his cost, you are brought into his presence. At God's altar... And here's, here's what's beautiful about presence and changing taste buds and everything that's going to happen about God's presence, even this morning, is that it's at his altar, at his cost, that you and I get to be in God's presence. I grew up in the church where, and it, I'm not going to blame this on the church, maybe some of it was the church's fault, but I grew up in a church where all I heard was, if you give up this, then you'll get this. If you'll stop doing this, you'll get this. If you start doing this, you'll get this. Now, whoever was saying that, or maybe I was just hearing that. I grew up in a place that said, if I, if I did enough, then God would give me, bless me, whatever it was. And it was like Christian karma, right? Like if I did good, I got good. If I did bad, I'd get bad. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of us really live in. And if I do, if I do enough for God, then God will do this. If, I, if I'm not, then, then I have to go to God's presence, the principal's office, and then we get, talk, get a talking to, right? And God's saying, at my altar, at my cost, is where my presence comes for you. Let's see how this works. I think for most of us, verse 3, he says this. Even the sparrow finds a home. I think for most of us, God's presence is not a home. And if I were to ask you, like, why, why is engaging the presence of God so difficult right now? You might say things like, well, I'm busy. I'm, I'm just super busy. There's a lot, of, a lot of things going on in my life, man. I'm a lot of stresses, and, and I just, I just, I don't make time for God. Some of you might say, I, I, I don't know how. No one's ever really showed me how to engage God, how to meet with God. Some of you might say, I, I, I used to. Just, you know, like you talked about earlier, kind of felt like I was praying to the ceiling, reading a book. Never really felt like joy. I never really tasted and saw that it was good. You know what I, I know about most of us? You make time for what you want. I don't think it's that you're too busy. We make time for what we want. And we can have 95 things going on. If we want to watch the Cardinals, we find time. You don't want to, we just don't. I know this, that there's this really cool thing on the internet called YouTube, and if you don't know how to do something, you can build a nuclear bomb if you want. Like, if you don't know how to, like, sharpen a pencil, you can get on YouTube and figure out, like, you, every time my wife needs to know how to do something, she calls my younger son, who's an engineer, and like, hey, how do you, he's like, mom, all I do is get on YouTube and look on, look on YouTube. She goes, well, I like it when you tell me how to do it better than it's like, so she's just lazy. And I think that's most of us with the Lord. We don't know how and we don't want to, we don't ask. Like you have a whole church of people here that would love to disciple you and how to meet with the Lord who are wrestling with it themselves, but they'd love to go there with you. And instead of asking them, hey, would you show me? And we're just like, eh. 
so that the next time somebody asks us, we can say, well, no one's ever told. I don't know. And I know this, for most of the other things in your life, you figure it out if you want to. Like, ignorance isn't the thing that withholds us from, from pursuing. There's other things that step in the way, so what are they? Here's the first thing. And even the sparrow finds a home. It says, the Lord of hosts, my king, my God. Listen, at his altar, you find out this, at his cost, that you get acceptance. One of the, I think one of the biggest hindrances for us coming into the presence of the Lord is we don't feel acceptable before the Lord. And this is something that somebody needs to hear this morning. Listen, at his altar, at his cost, you are wanted, accepted. I grew up in uh, South Texas, way South Texas, Harlingen, South Padre Island. My parents, my mom, that is, her family lived away up here in Hope, Arkansas. It was a 13-hour trip by car looking out the back of a station wagon when I was a little kid back in that day. Anybody else have to do that with their family? Like you were in the back seat looking backward? That's just crazy. People are pulling up behind you on the road, and you're, you're either doing this or you're doing this. <laughs> that was me in the back of the car. 13 hours to Hope, Arkansas. I get to Hope, Arkansas, walk into my grandmother's house, Mimi. We'd walk in there at Thanksgiving or Christmas, and there would be this spread. You ever have go to a place like this where there was just food everywhere? All your relatives were there. It was, it was just fun because all the cousins I never got to see were there. And you'd walk in and there was like four tables in this place. There was, there was a little kid's table over here by the stove. The only reason you wanted to sit at the little kid's table is because it was close to the stove where the homemade yeast rolls came out. Taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> homemade yeast rolls. The other reason you sat at the little kid's table is because that's where they sat you. You didn't really have a choice. And so when I was little, that's where I got sat. I'd walk in, and I'd, I'd run to all the other tables, and eventually my dad would pick me up. My mom sit me over at the little kid's table, little seats, little kids. All the little kids would be together. And then there was like two other tables where my older brother and sister sat out, all the older cousins, right? And then there was adults over here. And then there was this one table in the other room. It was one big room, but it was in the other room. is where all the, like, the grown-ups sat in my eyes. And they were like, they were always laughing. Ha, ha, ha. They were eating, putting food in their mouth like kings. Like, oh, this is great. And, and we were sitting over here at the little kid's table like this. Because none of us knew how to talk to each other. We're all three and five, and we were all just trying to figure out how to put food in our mouth. And nobody, no, not much fun was happening there. And if we started to have fun, somebody would look at us. You know, you could feel your mom across three tables like, stop throwing the ham. That kind of thing happened. And I always longed to be at that other table, mostly because that's where my dad was. But I didn't feel, hear this, wanted over there. I think some of you believe that God like died on the cross for you and has brought you into his kingdom, but he sat you at the little kid's table and you're not really wanted at his table. And can I just tell you this morning, the word of God says in Ephesians 1-4 that before time began, he chose you to be holy and blameless before him. Holy, forgiven. And I think some of you get that part. You struggle with it. You feel guilty about your sin, but you're starting to really believe like God forgives. What you really struggle with is blameless. Because the word blameless means acceptable. Wanted. That God hasn't just said forgiven, but God's saying wanted, accepted. Come, come sit at my table with me. Come into my presence. When you wake up in the morning, Come. When, you, when you're driving down the road, come. When you're sitting in your office and you're overwhelmed, come. 
at his altar, you have acceptance. Hebrews 10.19 tells us about acceptance and one other thing. Where there's forgiveness, there's no longer any offering for sin. We don't have to keep going to the altar because it's been made for us by Christ. Therefore, brothers, sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, you are wanted. He's going to say something else here. Listen. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. You, you not only have acceptance, but you have access. And this is so huge because I think some of us don't really think not, yeah, God, God loves me and wants me here, but do I really belong here? The only reason I was in that house in Hope, Arkansas, eating that food at those tables because I was family. And the only reason you get into the presence of the Lord is because you're a son or a daughter. And the only reason you get to be a son and daughter is because Jesus adopted you into his family. And the only reason you get to be a son and daughter who's adopted into the family is because Jesus paid for you. And how he paid for you was at the altar by his life. All of that means you get to sit at the big boy table. You're welcomed and you're wanted. So why do we stand looking into the throne room of God, like watching other people go in there, and we're like, man, I wonder what's going on in there. I wonder what it's like to actually be in the presence. I wonder what it's like to actually sit with the Lord. I wonder what it's like to actually pray and not hear my prayer, feel my prayers bouncing off the ceiling on my bald head. I wonder what it's like. I wonder what it's like. And most of us spend the majority of our lives believing that we've been forgiven and brought into the kingdom, sitting very far from the table of God, looking into the throne room of God, wondering. And this morning, can I give you some good news? The gospel's full of good news, besides the fact that you're saved and forgiven. Part of the good news is you're welcomed and you're wanted. You're accepted and you have access. So what hinders us? A lot of things hinder us from going into the presence, from going all the way in. One is ignorance. We just didn't know we had access. We had acceptance. This morning, your ignorance is gone. That's what the Word of God does. It like opens our eyes and lets us see the truth. And the truth is this morning, you're welcomed and you're wanted. You have access, you have acceptance. So no more ignorance. Here's the second thing that keeps us out is our sin. And, and I want you to hear this. As a follower of Christ, your sin doesn't keep you from the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave your body when you sin. It's just your sin keeps you from wanting to be in the presence of the Lord. Like the last thing you want to do when you're, think, when you're living in the middle of sin is to say, I want to sit down at the big table of God and just hang out with the Lord. Because all sin is is saying, I really don't want to be at that table with you. I want to do what I want to do. That's ultimately what sin is. So when you're looking at your device, doing things that you know are against the heart of God, it's no wonder that you don't want to be in God's presence. When you're thinking thoughts that are hateful towards other people, there's no wonder you don't want to be in the presence of the Lord. When I am trying to figure out a way to get out of a situation that I'm in, I'm trying to lie or, or deceive or to, or to twist the truth so it doesn't look as bad as it does. When I'm trying to plan sin, it's no wonder that I don't want to be in the presence of the Lord. Ever been there? Or like one moment you're praying, Lord, please help me, and the next moment you're like, how can I get out of this? Listen, sin will just push you from the presence of the Lord because condemnation is real from the enemy and shame is, is just the sister that kills. Sorry, I blamed that on a girl. The brother that kills. They're, they're just two cousins that are powerful from the enemy, condemnation and shame. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Again, the good news, Jesus took your condemnation and your shame at the cross. 
And when you and I feel that, part of what we have to remind ourselves is that's not mine to carry. Like in my sin, the condemnation is not mine. The shame is not mine. And we confess and God says, already forgiven, come in. Already paid for, come in. But when we don't confess, when we live under the shame and under the condemnation, we stare outside of the presence of the Lord and at a distance. I think the last thing is just desire. And it's got to change. It leaves us asleep in the morning instead of meeting with God. It leaves us asleep during the day instead of pursuing God. It leaves us asleep in the most desperate moments of your life when your kids need you on your knees because you're trying to figure out a way out for them instead of a way to the Father for them. Parents, one of the best things you can do is not save your kids. You're a horrible savior. You're a great interceder. You've got a savior. His name's Jesus. Sometimes when your kids get in trouble, you just need to let them be in trouble. That's the only way they're going to need a savior. As a parent, I wanted to save them. And God told me, like, hey, you're getting in my way. Like, back up. What I need you to do is need them to desperately need me. And sometimes when they're in trouble, when they're in sin, that's when they need you, Jesus, the most. Same thing for you and I. And when we're, when we're heaped condemnation and shame on our head, that's when the Holy Spirit comes and says, that's not yours to carry, but you need me. How beautiful a Savior we have. How beautiful he is all the time. This last hindrance, though, can be affected most by something God gives us in this last part of Psalm 84. He says in verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. This is, this is the missing thing for us. We have the desire, just zero strength. Watch what God says about the strength he gives. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. The, if you were going to go to the temple, this, this is interesting. All through the Old Testament, like the, the beginning of the Bible, that, real quick redemption history here, Genesis, God is in the presence of his people in the garden, right? And then they sin, and what happens? They're removed from the presence of God. The rest of the Bible... Genesis chapter 4, all the way up into Malachi, everything that's going on in the Old Testament is God bringing his presence back to his people, trying to restore his presence to his people and showing them what it's going to cost. It's going to cost a death to bring you back into my presence. And God, while God's presence is always everywhere, he confined his presence for the people to a tabernacle and a temple to tell his people like, hey, I need you to come to see what it's going to cost to be in my presence. That didn't mean he wasn't with them in the desert. Remember the pillar of fire, cloud by the day, right? I mean, all these things God was telling him, I'm with you, but when you're going to come into my presence to worship, I'm going to make you come to a place where I'm going to be because I want you to know the cost of what it is to come into my presence. So this psalm is all about those going to the temple to worship the Lord. And he says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are on the highways to Zion, whose desire is to go to the holy temple of God and meet with me. As they go through the valley of Baca, on their way to the temple, there was one way into Jerusalem at the very end where you'd go through this path through a valley to get to Jerusalem, which is up on a mountain. And that valley of Baca, the actual name in the Hebrew is Valley of Tears. I'm not sure why they called it that, but this Valley of Tears was a desert. And it was a place where robbers and tigers and lions and bears, oh my, lived, right? And it was just a hard place to get through to get to Jerusalem. And he's saying this, hey, as you go on the way to the temple, as you go through the valley of Baca, this place of tears, 
They make it a place of springs instead of a desert place. Early rain also covers it with pools. And they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. God's telling him, listen, as you go through the places that are places of desert, coming to meet with me, I'm going to meet with you. My presence is here. And what he's saying is, listen, it is my strength that allows you to encounter my presence. And it is my strength that I give you in my presence that allows you to keep encountering my presence. There's, at his altar, you get his strength. I love this. At his altar, you get his acceptance, you get his access. But and one of the most beautiful things you and I get is the very presence of the Holy Spirit that empowers us and gives us desires to be in his presence that actually changes our taste buds. It begins to change our longings, our desires. Verse 26 of Hebrews 8 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. One of the most dangerous things for you and I in being in the body of Christ is not believing that we're actually too weak to need Jesus. And I, I, man, if you could hear anything this morning, listen, you and I are full of weaknesses. Mostly what we try to do as Christians is make them strengths so that we don't look weak. And I just tell you, like, in your weakness, in your weaknesses where God gets to be God. And some of those weaknesses are just human frailties. You need to sleep. That's a weakness that God doesn't have, by the way. In your humanity, you don't know all things. You're going to hire people that look really good in an interview sheet, really great in an interview room, and then you start working with them, and you're like, what happened? Because you're not all-knowing. And you're either going to believe, I never make mistakes, or you're going to believe, I need a holy God, even in the middle of hiring somebody that maybe I shouldn't have hired. Listen to what he says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, where we don't know what to pray sometimes, and the Spirit himself intercedes with our groanings too deep with words. God is with us, strengthening us. Verse 8, and this is where we're going to end this morning in Psalm 84. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And then the word Selah again, this, this, this pause, this wait on the Lord. Our prayer starts becoming this, Lord, I want to hunger for and enjoy your ongoing presence. And what would it be like if, if, if when you prayed, it, that became part of your just prayer? Not as a script or a mantra, but your prayer started becoming this, Lord, I, I want my hunger for you to change. I want my hunger for you in the morning, like when I wake up, to be for you. Not for Facebook to scroll, or for Instagram, or for TikTok, or, or to check my whatever. Those things aren't evil. Don't hear me speaking down on them. I'm just saying this. I think our hunger for that is way greater than our hunger for the Lord is. Because somewhere out there, we believe people are, whatever, finding joy, finding happiness. Maybe I can. Or it's just numbing to our soul and our heart. It doesn't, and it's fun. And it's, it's, again, nothing evil about all those things in and of themselves. What would it be like, though, to wake up in the morning and hunger for the Lord's presence instead of your phone? Start in that prayer. Start asking the Lord, Lord, I want to hunger for you. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And you wait for him. Practically, pieces of prayer practically here. This isn't on the screen. I just want you to hear these practical things. Ask him to increase your hunger. I mean, as you're praying, ask him to increase it. Ask him to increase it and change it. He loves that prayer. You're not asking for stuff. You're asking for him. I want hunger for you. 
God loves that, honors that. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says. He honors those kind of prayers. Ask him to increase your dissatisfaction with the other tastes that you're hungering for. Here's where it gets real. It's not just asking for the Lord to increase your hunger for him, but it's to decrease your hunger for the things that you think are going to satisfy you. This is where repentance gets in. Everybody look up here for a second. There are moments we hunger for the Lord's presence. We just don't want to let go of the things we think are going to give us joy. And as long as you're holding on to this, this won't happen the way God longs for it to. You can't hang on to both. That doesn't mean you've got to give up Facebook or whatever else is those things. I'm just saying, asking the Lord for this not to be the satisfaction of your soul. For this not to be the longing for you, your body when you wake up or the longing for your mind or someone's approval or someone's desire for you. Like, God, kill the desires for this to feed my soul for joy and then grab hold of Jesus and say, man, I long to hunger for your presence. That's repentance. It's letting go of and grabbing hold of. Most of us just want to confess, yeah, this isn't great. I need Jesus, but I'm going to hold on to both. And that's, that's not repentance. And it's going to leave you hungry, dissatisfied. God knows this is hard. So in this little prayer, I love the two things he says. Lord God of hosts, it's the covenant God, the God of armies, who fought for you to have his presence, who's still fighting for you. It says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you right now, right now in this moment, in this room, some of you are wrestling, letting go, grabbing hold, and God's in the heavens, Jesus standing at his side interceding for you and I, because the Lord of hosts doesn't stop fighting for that which is his, which is you. I love that. Fighting for us. But I love the second thing he says. I want to, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer, give ear, O God of Jacob. Those of you in this room remember who Jacob was? Know, know your Bible stories a little bit. If you don't, let me remind you, Jacob was the guy who, like his name means deceiver. Why would he include this in this prayer? Oh, Lord God of hosts, who fights for me and God of Jacob, the deceiver, who stole his brother's birthright, who lied to his parents, lied to God, wrestled with God, told God, I'm not going to let go of you until you give me what I want. You know why he put his name in there? Because that's us. He's God of Jacob's. He's God of all the people in the world that want to hold on to both. He's God of Jacob's. And he changes names. Remember what his name got changed to? Israel, Prince. Changed Jacob's taste, changed Jacob's life, changed Jacob's whole world because he wrestled with God and he walked away from there very different physically, had a limp, but very different name and hunger. Man, don't stand and look anymore to what's going on in the Holy of Holies at a distance. Man, God's just saying, draw near. Draw near. You, were, you weren't made for the kids' table. You were made for the table of the Lord. This, this last part of the psalm is not up on the screen, but I love this. Verse 10 of Psalm 84 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day. Better is one day in God's presence. One day. 